You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to episode number 30 of Living the Dream with Rory O'Malley. If you like the podcast, remember to subscribe, rate, and review, or just tell your friends. Audition side job, swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Hey there, dreamers. Rory O'Malley here. Thanks for listening to Living the Dream with Rory O'Malley. My guest this week is Seth Rudetsky of Sirius XM's Broadway channel, of Broadway, of... God, I, I can't even come up with a complete list of all the things that Seth Rudetsky is involved in with the Broadway community, but he has an amazing story. He went from being in the pit of a Broadway show, playing the piano, to the working on the Rosie O'Donnell show, to hosting events for Broadway Cares, to being one of the main faces of Sirius XM Broadway channel. And, you know, if, if you are a part of the Broadway community, you know Seth Rudetsky. He is, as he says it, a a fan and uh, also a performer and someone who has access to everyone in the industry. He's talked to everyone. So it was a really great conversation. I've always been so curious to know how he forged this path, how he made this career for himself that is unlike anyone else. And I got a lot of insight into that. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with him. We also spoke with his husband, James. Seth and James, a year ago after the tragedy in Orlando, put together a group of Broadway performers, and I was lucky enough to get to participate to sing What the World Needs Now is Love, Sweet Love. And it, the Burt Bacharach, beautiful song. Um, it, it was to recording it to raise awareness and to raise money for the victims in Orlando. And since then, they've just gone on to do concerts and appearances and they've always done such great things for, for very good causes. And uh, they will be performing with a concert this Saturday in San Francisco at the Curran Theater at 7 o'clock. And if you are here in San Francisco, you definitely should check it out. I will be there at the beginning of the show and then run over to Hamilton the same night. Uh, it's going to be really, really amazing. Huge performers, Alan Cummings, Faith Prince, uh, so many wonderful people are going to be at this show, and you definitely should check it out. Jane Lynch, um, it, it's going to be a great night for a great cause. I am so glad that I was able to find a time that Seth Rudetsky could sit down and speak with me. This is the longest conversation I've ever gotten to have with him because he's doing so many things. It's, he's a hard man to track down. Um, but please enjoy my conversation with James Wesley and Seth Rudetsky. 
so hi guys. Hi Seth. Hi James. Hi Rory. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I am so excited for this weekend. You have a big concert coming up in San Francisco. Yeah, and you have a five minute appearance. I do. I'm starting the whole thing off. That's it's right. It's a pretty big five minutes, right? <laughs> yes. Um, yes. We're going to be at the Curran Theater, which, by the way, I just saw, I was reading research, is where Peter Pan did its out-of-town tryout with Mary Martin. Wow. I had no idea. Just saying. Little wow. side note. No, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of history in theater in San Francisco, and th- the crowds have been so enthusiastic and amazing, and they Well, they, they kind of are here, everywhere so. for Hamilton. It's like, I've yet to see, like, a crowd boo. That's true. That's true. We'll find that crowd somewhere. <laughs> Although they apparently did that for Angela Lansbury when she did Sweeney Todd. She said that when she went to San Francisco, they all wanted like baubles and bees of Maine. Oh. She was all frumpy and they were like, we don't like this show. That's what she said. What? Because it was, was it the out of town before I went to Broadway? No, it was the national tour. And she was like, I can't wait to San Francisco. And they were all like, where are your gowns? Even after <laughs> they already knew the show and what it was? I guess. They still thought, like, wow. They're like, surely she's going to get dressed up. And it turns out she did not. Oh my not. God. They're like, where's B. Arthur? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was <laughs> ridiculous. That was Len Carrier. Same track. Same vocal range. Anywho. Anywho. So you guys have done uh, an amazing thing. Um, You've put together, you put together a song a year ago after the tragedy in Orlando. And it's really turned into something much, much bigger. Obviously, if you guys are involved, it becomes a big production with the Broadway community and, and has raised a lot of money and done some amazing things. Can you just tell me how this all started? Um, I'll just say, I'll begin one thing. Basically, we were very frustrated. It happened two years ago with foster care with, um, the mayor had appointed this horrific woman to um, uh, child services who was cutting this major foster care program that helped teens get adopted. So James said, we have to put on a big benefit to try to save this organization because most kids don't get adopted past age eight. And we had hardly any time because our goal initially, it was beginning of May and the fiscal year for New York City is June 30th. And we wanted to get the funding restored. We wanted to get attention right. and all that stuff. And they really needed the money or they were going to go under. So we called our big, like fancy friends that produced like major events, which have remained nameless, but they were like, you'll never get it done in two months. And we were like, watch us. So we did this big Broadway event and we got Tina Fey and Jane Kukowski and it became this big, amazing thing. And that's kind of when we first really worked together very closely. Right. And we knew that we could put something together really big, really fast. It gave us that confidence because I mean, Seth had obviously done before I met him uh, a lot of benefits on Broadway, but they weren't done in four weeks. No dear. So we kind of knew we did that. And then when Orlando happened, it was the Tony Awards and Jennifer Samard from Disaster was nominated from the show that I wrote and James co-produced. And instead of being really happy that day, it was very depressing because of Orlando. So the next morning. So the next morning I I went for a bike ride. I normally watch the news kind of obsessively and I am a morning person. And so while Seth was still asleep, my normal routine would have been to watch the news, but I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And so I went for a bike ride and, Coincidentally, I'd already been listening on Spotify to Dionne Warwick's version of What the World Needs Now is Love. And so I just started biking from the Upper West Side down the Hudson River and just put it on a continuous loop. And as I was riding down, I thought of of, uh, We Are the World and doing it one solo line at a time. And I could picture us doing it. And I thought, well... Seth and I can get this together, but we'd need to do it soon. It couldn't be like two months from now the song comes out. The moment is now. And right. because sadly people do forget about tragedies, even as big as the one at Pulse. And in fact, look at all the tragedies that have happened in the last year. 
Um, and so, uh, because we had just done the disaster, uh, album, I, I knew who to get a hold of to get the song rights and if we could get them. And so I'd gotten in touch with her and, and I did all this stuff. And then I woke up Seth and I said, okay, we need to do this and we need to do it Wednesday. We need to do it between shows so that people can come and get the maximum number of Broadway people. And, uh, and we did. We started texting. Yeah. I, I think I first texted Adina Menzel because I, I knew I had to have some names to make other people comfortable. Yeah. So I got Adina, I got Billy Porter, like maybe four people. And we got Broadway Records who did our Disaster Cast album right. to sign on. That's the thing. And they got us a studio for free. And, um, you were, you were there, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember, I remember at the, at the, our matinee, Lynn turned to me and he was like, Hey, are you going to Seth's thing? I was like, Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> I love it. Seth's thing. Uh, and it wanted to be great. So anyway, we did that. And then the election happened and we were both in London doing disaster yet again. And we were devastated. And we thought, you know, what we always do, we got to put on a concert yeah. mainly for our mental health because we knew we were going to be overwhelmed, but also to just, we knew so many groups were going to be screwed by this new government. And we said, we've got to help them. And as we were thinking right. about doing it, Jesse Mueller texted me and she said, what about doing a concert? We sing all patriotic songs. And she was listening to them and she said, if anyone could do it, you guys can. And I kind of gave us the courage to do it. And then we kept hearing for weeks there were these other concerts happening. It yeah, there like, were these rumors. I don't like know. Did you hear them? That there were the yeah, there was this fake meme. It was like, Did you Beyonce, see that? Yeah. Jay Z. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like huge, right? And we're like, well, we can't compete with that. Yeah, we're like Broadway cannot compete. I'm but sorry, those, you know, even Hamilton cannot compete with Jay Z. Yeah, so you know like, what I mean? It's so like, we're like, sure. get it. it. And then then we kind of heard it wasn't happening. And then it was the end of December, and I said, oh my god, the inauguration is a couple weeks away. I said, James, we can't like save the world. We have to stop like pushing it. And James called me December 30th. I was in Florida with Matt Morrison doing a show, and he said, I really thought about it. We have to do it. I was like, all right. And then we just got it done in a couple weeks. <laughs> yeah. And James said it has to be every yeah. month. And he said, I really want to go across the country because everyone in the country needs to be cheered up. And that's what we started doing. And a big component of it, and a big component of it is Facebook Live. So yes, for, the Facebook Live for is all right. of your listeners, Rory, that's yeah. right, who aren't in San Francisco, um, who want to come. I mean, who can't come but would like to, they can watch it on right. Facebook. Yeah, yeah, and we got like that's that's amazing. We got a ton of views for the last concert. It's it's really great. I got a letter from someone in North Dakota. Like, I mean, people are, are really watching it, which I think is so wonderful. I'm not really even cool enough to watch that on Facebook Live. I'm like, wait, what is that? Like, literally, the fact that you wanted to Skype me, I'm like, I don't even know if I have Skype. <laughs> so, like, it's way beyond me, Facebook Live. But I know that other people enjoy it. FYI, right? I'm old. Yes, no, it's a, it's a big deal, and it's giving people access to things that they didn't have access to before. Yeah. I, I think that Hamilton, one of the reasons that it's had this kind of success and this reach, is because Lin Manuel Miranda is so good at social media yeah. and so good at the you know cutting edge of like people. I would walk backstage at, at Hamilton or down into the into the uh, green room area. And people would be like, hey, you were so funny on Snapchat. I don't have a Snapchat, but you're just constantly on, te- on television. You're constantly live yeah. That's why you're I, at I Hamilton. By the way, speaking of Facebook Live, wonderful. I think we were the first Broadway show, Disaster, to Facebook Live, an actual live performance. We got Jennifer Samard's um, Nun song on Facebook. I don't even know how they got the rights. But they wow. did it during the performance. Someone Facebook Live did it. It was totally like clear through the unions. Yeah, it was cleared. Yeah, that's a, really. Yeah, yeah I wish wow. they did. It. I, I don't know why they haven't done it since. They did that for uh, Cynthia Erivo's final performance. Was Facebook Live? 
Of I'm I'm here, yeah. yeah if I knew what Facebook yeah. Live was, I'd be super excited. Don't know what it is. Uh, anywho, so not true. I sort of know, but I've never seen it. But anyway, so we're gonna be oh, at the current in San Francisco. Please, it, within within like three months, Seth is gonna have a Facebook Live show right. that is like number one on <laughs> Facebook and Broadway. How dare Give you? Me a break. Uh, all right, so promote the shit. It's Saturday at the current theater, and it's you, and it's Alan Cumming, and it's Jane Lynch, and Faith Prince, and Kevin Chamberlain, and House Sparks, and Sharon Glass, yeah. which is Mother's son yes. from Queer Spoke. Hey. Ugh. And That's you're awesome. you're taking off Hamilton then? Are you under Hamilton, <laughs> correct? Because you're yeah, sick. Right. Oh yeah, sure. No, I'm literally starting the show at seven and then running to the theater to be in the show at eight. Can I just give you a little fun side story to relate to you? I did the funny girl. Speaking of big concert, did the funny girl concert for the actors fund. I did one every year, and sure. we were on a Monday as usual. And Sutton, we had a different Fanny Brides for every song. And Sutton Foster was doing uh, "I'm the Greatest Star." She just won the Tony Award. It was like perfect timing. And suddenly that Monday, AT and T bought out the house to see Thurman and Millie. So she suddenly had a show, and it couldn't be like they bought out the house. And at this performance, you know, the role, of, you know, Joyce yeah, DeWitt. Yeah, yeah. So I said we begin at seven thirty. I said we'll probably be maybe ten minutes late, and you're within the first ten minutes. So she literally came to the theater in full Thurman and Millie wig. She was fully wigged. She did I'm the Greatest Star, and her fun exit as Fanny Bryce was literally up the aisle so she could run out of the Broadway theater and then get to her theater at the Marriott. So That's right back at you. That's brilliant. That's amazing. <laughs> Which is going to be That's you amazing. as well. No, so I will, will be showing be... up on Saturday in a thoroughly modern Millie way. Oh, yeah. Well, King <laughs> George, the they're, the they're both fops. It's perfect. That's true. It's a I short do bob. I want, really. <laughs> I do wear a wig. Um, no, it's going to be a great night. I, I, I'm so... So impressed and in awe of what you guys have done this year, what you've always done, but it, it really takes a lot of leadership and work to do something like this. And people don't realize how much work it does because I've done something on other scales with Broadway Probably and Pat Pat. stuff. What, what that gave me was a, the, the understanding of how much work it takes to pull anything off. <laughs> to do what you guys have done this year is astounding. And I'm so grateful that you have continued to be leaders in the Broadway community for doing what's right, using the power of, of, of the stage to make change. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to just keep getting bigger and bigger. And I think that you guys have, have come in at the right moment with the right, uh, feeling and the right song and, the, it just, it just everything about it makes me so thrilled. So thank you so Thanks, much. I'm, I'm excited for Saturday. It's going to be fun. See you on yeah, Saturday. See you on Saturday. Yes. All right, James is piecing out. James, go take care of our child. And also go let the dog eat. James has to get back to work. Oh, yeah. It's nonstop. It's 24 hours. <laughs> you guys have a lot. But I want to I keep talking to you about uh, your career and who you are. Because I, I think that when I started this podcast, which is a podcast about, it's called Living the Dream. It's about living your dream day to day. Now, is it living and with an apostrophe or living? No apostrophe. Okay. No apostrophe sure. because I'm from Ohio and that's just way, way too hip. Mm-hmm. Um, Got it. So, yeah, it's living the dream. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's been great to talk to a bunch of different people who had their start, you know, going to Carnegie Mellon for musical theater and doing the same hustle as as being actors. What you've done, though, is so unique to Anyone. I, I read an article where you said that you 100% have to create your own career. You have to, even if you win a Tony Award, you have to create the next step of what your career is and not just wait for someone to give you the right role or the next right step. So you, you went from being in the Broadway, you went, you, you got, you majored in piano at Oberlin. Wow. Yes. Right. And you 
were in a pit of a Broadway show and playing in the pit as a musician. And now you are uh, in charge of Broadway. So, yeah. So, so, but, but, you know, the, the steps to get there, I think a lot of times people on the outside will think, wow, somebody must have, uh, saw something in Seth and started giving him this, that, and the other thing, book deals, having him be on, on Sirius XM, giving him the chance to, to be up in front of an audience, you know, from being in the pit. Yes, that's true, but you are the one who had to create what your career even is. It doesn't exist. You're the one who made it. So I think you're such an interesting person to talk to because I want to know how you did it. I want to know, I want to know, uh, the, the, the walls that you hit to get there mm. and the, the ways that you were able to kind of overcome that and keep going because I'm sure that there were tons of times where it was like, this is, it's too much to create your own path. Um, so, Let's start from the beginning a little bit. You were in Oberlin College being a, a piano player, but you always loved Broadway. And how did you wind up in New York? Well, you you well, grew up in yeah, Long Island. Yeah, I'm from Long Island. And, um, you know, I, I, I always had – Broadway was always my first love, but I was, I was a talented classical pianist. Right. I probably wanted to major in theater, but I kind of um, – I don't even – it wasn't – you know, it was in the 80s. It wasn't necessarily – that normal to major in musical theater, it just wasn't really as it is now or with like Michigan and yeah. like it was kind of just starting, I feel. So anyway, I kind of got into college and I got into Oberlin early when I played my classical piano audition. I was like, oh my God, I guess I have to go. Like I was so happy I got in. I, I, was <laughs> I just, guess I have to go to the greatest music school <laughs> well, in the country, I, I guess. Mean, but I, was, I knew I wasn't going to be a concert pianist, but I just was, I thought it was so cool that I got in. And then when I visited, like it was so liberal and I just thought it was amazing. So yeah. Um, I went, but as typical in my life, like I've always had multitude of interests and I feel like people have tried to kind of pigeonhole me and, um, it's, I, first of all, that's not the real world. Like who only has one interest anyway? So it's just bizarre to me that right. people do get pigeonholed because nobody has just one interest. So yeah. anyway, I, I was a classical piano major, but of course I was like doing musicals on the side. And in terms of, let's say forming my own career, I really started that. Hold on, James. Can you give poor our little sweet dog once a treat treat? Can you give her something? I really we love dogs on the podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> By the way, I'm obsessed. They're, with they're always. It's one of my biggest causes is animals. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's right. All rescues. Uh, anyway, no, just give her, just give her the thing that's in the closet. Um, in terms of forming my own career, it really started at Oberlin, like, because I'd say sophomore year, it's like the way that the Dream Girls concert. I was like, I've always wanted to play Rhapsody in Blue. And you have winter projects in Oberlin. So I was like, I'll play Rhapsody in Blue. I'll literally get a symphony orchestra together. Everyone here is an amazing classical musician. I put a little sign-up sheet on the board. And my winter term project right. was doing Rhapsody in Blue. And I got this big, crazy orchestra together. And I played it. And um, it was amazing. <laughs> so it was the kind of when I really began to realize, like, oh, my God, I could just kind of like do whatever I want if I just ask people. Everyone wants yeah. to have fun. So I did that there. And I, my friend, I love Broadway music, so I applied to be the Broadway radio host. And I started doing that for funsies. Anyway, so, and then I basically, you know, I studied classical music, but I did a lot of musical theater. And then one of my friends at Oberlin worked at Summerstock, and he said, oh, do you want to be my musical assistant, director assistant? So that was my first professional job in music directing, and it was it was so cool to actually do a show and know there was an audience coming that was like actually paying. I remember going, I can't believe everyone in this audience is paying money. Like it was so right. exciting. And it was summer stock, which is an amazing training because it was, it was uh, one week stock as it's called. So as you do one show during the day, you're doing another one at night and it was Crazy. 12 weeks. So it was like, 
Promise yeah. to Promise is applause, grease. I mean, every single week. So whatever show I didn't know, I learned. It was, inc- And also you learn, I really learned how to be a good music director there because you have basically one rehearsal like for each song. So you have to dilute exactly how you're going to teach this because you don't have three hours. So it's like, what is the clearest way to get this across? And I think that's always been a big skill of mine is how to teach music very clearly. I've always really enjoyed it. And I definitely honed it in summer stock. And um, I graduated and, you know, I guess if you want an overview of what you should do is basically do as many things as you can, because every single person you meet will lead to something. So you know, when I got right. to New York, I already knew people from summer stock and I began playing their auditions and, you know, it, uh, eventually getting to Broadway's, I, I, I was interning at this theater and I met this woman, Maria Bossi, who I thought was really funny. And she said, Oh, you should do a cabaret act with me. And as we were writing it together, I began to kind of improv lines and suddenly we both had roles. So we were both doing basically this comedy show together. And uh, one week I couldn't make it. And then this other pianist did it for me. And then he got a Broadway show and I said, can I be your sub? And that's how I kind of made it to Broadway. It's just all like through knowing people. I mean, that's, that's really how it's not, not like being an actor where you go and you audition and you're good. When you're a musician, especially is from knowing people. And that's also in my career. And it's not like having connections. It's like, doing a good job and having someone else be impressed and therefore they recommend you or, you know, they trust you to do something. Right. Yeah. You, you kind of, you prove yourself to that first person yeah. and then they're like, okay, I can trust this guy to come back again. And exactly. Yeah. That's it's, it's funny. You, you, a lot of times I think people don't want to take smaller things right at the beginning. Cause they're like, I'm so good. Or, right. <laughs> you know, like I know what, how much I'm capable of. So I don't want to do this like small thing. But the truth is, is that you do that small thing and you're going to meet somebody who's going to get you start climbing some ladder. It's not a ladder that goes straight up, but it's, it's that first rung, you know, of a, a lot of people shy away from. That's how I got to television. I mean, like, you know, if you want yeah. one of those stories is like the basis of this story, I guess is, don't ever take a job for money. Like the one thing about me is like, I've never ever cared about money. You know, I don't want to be poor, but it's like, it's it just, I, it's probably why I'm terrible with money. And I don't own a house, but like, it just doesn't matter to me. So anyway, my point is I, I've been playing a lot of Broadway shows and, um, I was doing comedy on the side, just to kind of everything I want to do. And the Easter bonnet came along, which for you people that don't know it, it's a big kind of variety show Broadway puts on every year for charity, for Broadway cares, equity, Bites aids. So I was working on Greece and I said, Oh, I want to write the comedy sketch. And we wrote this comedy sketch because Brooke Shields had just taken over in Greece. So it was about like, who do we get to find as a replacement for Rizzo? And, you know, Maureen, we had a fake Maureen McCormick and it was, you know, you're the one that I want about Brooke Shields. So anyway, it went over really, really well. And finally, Barbara Kara said, can you write the opening number for the Easter bonnet? Right. And for the, and you know, it was a really big deal to me because it's like seen by all of Broadway, but the exact same time I was offered forever plaid in Hawaii and I'd always wanted to go to Hawaii and it was really good money. And I, you know, I wasn't making really any money in those days. So yeah. I was like, do I get this vacation where I'm going to get, get paid a lot or do I do this opening number for no money? But it was a combination of, I really believe in the charity and also like, I really enjoy being challenged and I did not know if I could write an opening production number. It was not something I'd ever done before. So I said, I really want to do something like this because it just seems so different from anything I've ever done. So I turned down forever plaid and I wrote this opening number with up, up and coming choreographer, Kathleen Marshall. She'd never really done anything at that point. <laughs> and we did it, you know, she choreographed it. And, um, the point of my story is that in the audience was Rosie O'Donnell and Rosie had known me from Greece cause she was Rizzo. And we did right. a closing comedy show that I wrote for her. So she kind of knew that I was funny, but the point is when she got her TV show, 
she called me and she said, can you write production numbers like Easter Bonnet for my TV show? And that's how I got a job writing on a TV show. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's one of those things like you just keep doing things. And I didn't take it for money. I didn't take Easter Bonnet for money, but it led to something. So back to your theory, just take everything because it always leads to something. Right. So take the things that like inspire you yes. and make you excited. Yes. And even if that means not getting to go to Hawaii. Yeah. And just for on a, a week. side <laughs> note, you know, my one of my main jobs is interviewing people and Sutton Foster was offered Eponine and Les Mis or being in the chorus at Thoroughly Modern Millie. And it was more money than she'd ever made to play Eponine. And she turned it down because she told her agent, she said, I've already played Eponine in the national tour and it's cool to be yeah. on Broadway, it's cool to make money. She goes, but I think Millie would be so fun. I believe in the show and I don't care if I'm in the chorus. And then of course it led to her taking over the lead role and winning the Tony Award, but she literally took oh chorus. Oh my God. Yeah, so it's just- That's insane. You gotta do what you think is fun and not, I'm not into those whole five-year plans. It's just like, keep doing fun things no. and it keeps leading to something else that's fun. Yeah, and you you do have to take the chances. I mean, like people on this podcast have heard the story many times, but me taking that nerds show last year, and and you know, I knew that hey, this is the season of Hamilton. This show isn't going to have a lot of room to last for a whole year, but I knew like this is going to be fun. It's going to be a good challenge. It's going to show something that I haven't gotten to do before, and it turns out I only got to do it in the rehearsal room for yeah. for a casting director and our team. But that casting director turned out to be the casting director for Hamilton, and it's why I'm the king because of that one day. I love that. And by the way, you're taking the chorus in Book of Mormon. You didn't know it was going to turn into a role that's going to get you Tony nomination. Absolutely. I mean, that was an easy decision because I was working at BlackRock Financial in the human resources department. (laughs) So that wasn't like, you know, which one should I do? (laughs) But, but yeah. But but, you didn't take it to get a Tony nomination. You just took it because you're like, it's, you know, it's a gig. Oh my God. I didn't even know what it was. Yeah. I just knew who was writing it. And I said, I'll, I'll be there. I'll, I'll be an assistant to just, just to be in that room. Yeah. So yeah, no, you, you, you never know what something is going to turn into. And it, it's, it, you can, as I always say, you can only connect the dots back. You can't connect them forward. That's so true. It's a hundred percent true. But as long as you're enjoying it, then just do it. You know, and right. what's also funny about my, my radio show is so funny is that I did it in college and I used to cassette tape myself and. My mom, for years, would always... I had these cassette tapes of me DJing. She'd always say, you should house your own Broadway radio show. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. I said, what Broadway radio show? I was like, it doesn't exist. Like, I did it in college. What show right. are you saying I should do? Like, it's like saying, like, you really should, like, you know, ride around the rings of Saturn. I'm like, there is a Broadway radio show for me to host. And it just really... Right. There was a Broadway radio show, and I started hosting it. Yeah. So it was just weird. Like, I didn't yeah. even know that was going to happen, but I had the experience from college, and that's what paid off for me getting Sirius XM. But, well, how did that happen? I mean, let, there's a, there's you do, working on the Rosie O'Donnell show, and then you becoming a, a personality of a, a Broadway personality based on your deconstructing yeah. performances, doing the Broadway Cares events, and putting on shows. My big concerts. And that was before Sirius XM, right? Um, no. Deconstructing was after Sirius XM. Sirius XM came oh, okay. from the Rosie O'Donnell show. I was working as a comedy writer on that show for years, and the Grammy Awards happened, and Rosie hosted it. And I've been right. doing stand-up comedy and sketch comedy, but I basically stopped when I became a writer on the show, and it was very behind the scenes, like I wore glasses. Anyway, so Rosie did the Grammy Awards and she took the red eye back. So she didn't want to rehearse the next morning because she was exhausted. So she had a number with Martin Short and they said, can you just be Rosie in this number? Because I used to write a lot of the comedy, the musical parodies. They said, can you right. just rehearse? You know Rosie's part, just do it. So I did it with Marty Short 
and we had a live feed you'd be able to watch. And the writers saw it and they said, oh, you're such a good performer. Why don't, you know, not to brag, but they said, why don't you perform more? And I was like, oh, I don't perform anymore. And then I was like, wait, why don't I perform anymore? So I was like, right. why have I given this up? So I called um, my friend Richie Jackson, who I went to camp with, but he's like a, he like is the executive producer of like Nurse, Nurse Jackie. Yeah. He's a big yeah. one now. And I said, you know, I said, I want to start performing again, but you know, there's so many like Jewishy actors. I'm like, how am I going to compete with that? I said, I really feel like what I do best is I have a really specific personality. And he said, well, why don't you start doing a talk show every week? And then we could bring people from TV to see it. And then you can get it on TV. So I started doing this the thing called the Chatterbox. That's why we Chatterbox. Which yet right. again, I, I it seems so easy now looking back on it. I'm like, oh my God, of course I could do that. But I really didn't. I was like, I'm going to talk to someone for an hour about what? Like it really seemed crazy to me. Yeah. And right before that had happened, I talked to some other people on stage during a benefit, a quick little interview that I would always do for funsies. And David Friedman, who wrote Help Us on the Way, and he conducted all the Disney movies, he said, you're such an insider, but such a fan. And it kind of gave me confidence. I'm like, oh, that is what I am. Kind of like Rosie. You know, that's yeah. sort of the same thing. So anyway, I started doing this chatterbox every week. And P.S. it never got on TV. But I loved doing it because... Probably people would go on TV, they would get these four-minute interviews with no information, and they get them confused from pre-interviews, because I remember Faith Prince, during interviews, when she was waiting for the Tony nomination for Guys and Dolls, she would always say, when I'm nervous, I cook, and I was making pancakes, and I got the call, I got nominated. I remember she was on Jay Leno, and Jay Leno was like, Faith, where were you when you won the Tony Award? And she was like... I was making pancakes. It was like a crazy, uh, and I was like, oh my God, does he not even understand? Or they interviewed Jane Krakowski for my concert. They're like, Jane Krakowski, you're doing Funny Girl, but this time it's a musical. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> no one understands anything. So I was like, I want to do Chatterbox where I actually understand Broadway and I could really ask great questions because I yeah. love Broadway. So anyway, began doing the Chatterbox. And then Richie, Richie came to see me and my best friend, Jack Plotnick. We both wound up writing a disaster together. But in those days, we were a comedy team. Plotnik and Rudetsky, colon, we have awful last names. Well, that's what we wanted to call ourselves. Uh, that's, we never, we never gave the colon. We always wanted to call ourselves oh that. But God. anyway, we were doing this comedy show, and it was very signature, our comedy, where I like play tapes of myself when I was a kid and show how fat I was. Just like a lot of comedy about what losers we were. Anyway, Richie came to see it, and he said, I know you guys think it's the comedy, but I kind of see it as about two outcasts that took what made them outcasts and then made careers out of them. And Jack was like, I don't identify with that. And I was like, I do. So I wrote this one-person show called Rhapsody and Seth. So I I played it off Broadway. Um, I got an agent from it. And I was doing a round of interviews. And I was interviewed on SiriusXM. And I'd never even heard of it. And I went over this interview. And P.S., it was a horrific interview where literally the interviewer said to me at the beginning, I saw your show last night. Listen, I just flew... By the way, microphone's on. I just flew in from L.A. So I apologize that I fell asleep during it. I was like, oh, my God. Anyway, and I was in a bad, I was like, you're an idiot and I'm tired. Regardless, the head of the Broadway channel, Mike Peters came up to me and he said, I just heard your interview. You're really good on the radio. And I was like, I am. I was like, I was so angry. And he said, no, you're really good. He said, do you have any like recordings of yourself? He's like, you didn't fall asleep like the guy we have on now. So that's pretty <laughs> Seriously, good. Seriously, you have, you were able to stay awake for a full 20 minutes. So he said, do you have any, you know, any audio on you doing interview or whatever? And I said, oh, I said, well, I did a BB New Earth interview and I recorded it. So I just gave it to him. I said, this is like me, you know, talking Broadway. So I gave him right. the BB with interview. And then a couple of weeks later, he said, you know, do you want to start DJing here on Saturday and Sunday nights? Which I thought was a big deal. Now I know it's like the graveyard shift. Like nobody listens to Saturday right. and Sunday nights. But I was like, all right. So I did it. And literally a week later, he was like, oh, my God, you're amazing. I mean, not to brag, but he's like, you're amazing. We want you on seven days a week. And literally, 
But even then, I was like, I don't know, whatever. I just started okay. doing it. I didn't know what it was going to be. And what it turned out to be was it changed my whole career because I can go do shows in other cities and people know who I am. Like, yeah. how the hell would anyone know who the hell I am? <laughs> like, Seattle, right. San Francisco. But it's just it, everyone from Broadway knows that when you leave New York, one of the first things that people say to you is I've listened to you on <laughs> Sirius XM, so you know, and, Seth, and people will say to me, Seth knows who you are. I'm like, yes. <laughs> and he's like, he talked about you on his show. I'm like, Oh, well, good. I'm glad that you think that I'm someone now. <laughs> or, you know, Christine Petty or Julie James, that the people who are personalities on Sirius XM Broadway, around the country because Broadway is not in something that's, you know, they can go to like we can, right. they, that is their main way to, to, to hear it, to, to, to be a part of it. And certainly if it was around when I was growing up, I would have been devouring it. Like I was the Rosie O'Donnell show, which was my main outlet for Broadway. That was around when you were growing um, up. Great. I was 70 when it started. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, was- welcome to my world. I'm in Hamilton. I'm the oldest man in the show. Oh, and Where's the it's, fun part? it's fine. You know, I really, I, 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 I sang the facts of life theme song yes. and they had no idea what I was singing. I was like, I need to get around older gay people immediately. What? A, holy shite. B, I know. Concha for America is coming to Atlanta and Kim Fields is going to be in it. Get out. So Tootie, back at you. Tootie. <laughs> Thank you. I love you. So, but so you, you're, so you're on seven days a week. Well, so you're now sex I'm on, well, yeah, I guess I am on seven. Well, basically six but, or seven. But when you, but initially, yes. like they, they take you from the graveyard shift yes. to basically being the face of, of serious sex. One of the faces. Broadway. Yes. Yes. But, um, so, so that changes things for you because you can go around the country, you can do your show much more, yeah. but then you start getting into things like writing books and, oh, that, and, you know, that actually maybe even been a little bit before. Basically that was, I went to the Barnes and Noble. I love reading. I love, I can't tell how much I love books. I went to Barnes and Noble and I saw like the nanny diaries, like the inside scoop and being a nanny. And I was like, what about the inside scoop on Broadway? I was like, right. why has no one written that? So I wrote this book called, um. Broadway Nights, which Giant Jackson thought was my diary. And I'm like, really? The lead character is having an affair. Like, you really think I would write about an affair? Anyway, it's purely fiction book. But I'm so angry at him. But anyway, I wrote um, Broadway Nights. And then my agent said, you know, a really big market is young adult books, especially with lead gay characters. He said, if you write a young adult book with a lead gay character, because I know a big publishing house will publish it. So I wrote it, and I got a, a book deal with Random House. And right. um, on my audiobook, I think a certain Rory J. O'Malley was featured uh it was you and i'm trying to think which one you Uh, were on were you with the one with jesse tyler ferguson yes yes yeah you jesse tyler ferguson and megan hilty and i wrote that uh that was my awesome awful popularity plan and then i wrote the sequel which is the rise and fall of a theater geek and i just always love to write so yeah i write books on the side because i enjoy it (laughs) i do i like to write I write books on the side because I enjoy it. Well, please, that's I'm wonderful. I'm not guaranteeing they're all going to get published, but you know, I've been I've been lucky. But that's been talk about a struggle. That was a major struggle. I mean, I never I haven't even talked about that for a second. Just going back with the whole thing about struggling. It's like yeah. my Dream Girls concert. I saw I did a big fundraiser for the Gay and Lesbian Synagogue. Lilius White sang Effie, and I was like, Oh my god, I can't believe how good she is. I want to do this on Broadway with Lilius with an orchestra. And I was like, right, I right. know it would make money. And I was like, it's never going to be revived this minute. So why don't I just put on a one night concert of it? And I went to like major charities, and they were like, We don't want to use a full orchestra. What about a rock band? I was like, 
No, I was like, it has to be full right. orchestra. So believe me, I, I could have just been like, oh, well, I guess not. But I finally went to the Actors Fund and they were like, yes. So the Actors Fund did it. But I, I totally got a lot of no's. My first book, I can't even tell you the amount of rejection letters I got. Like, it was relentless. And in a sense, it makes you, I remember even my agent, not doubted me, but he was like, you know, he was like, maybe put it away and then revisit it. And I, I started reading it again. And I was like, no, I was like, I think it's a really good book. Like, I'm not afraid to get criticism, but I'm really not. But I was reading it and I was like, I enjoy it. And that's kind of my main, that's kind of my main, uh, MO. Is that the word? Modus operandi for anything I've ever done. It's like, well, I enjoy this in the audience. So I always go by my taste. And that, that's the easiest way for me to create. So I was right. really enjoying my book, you know, and I really liked it. Anyway, I finally got a publishing deal, but that was, I literally went at one point, my agent said, worst comes to worst, go to, and it was some horrific publishing house. He goes, worst comes to worst, go to this publishing house. I can't present it to them because they pay no money, but you can. And I sent it to them and they rejected it. It was literally the worst <laughs> comes to worst. Literally, they don't even pay. The They're worst, like, worst came to worst. Yeah. And it and actually it, got, it got worse. worse. <laughs> so like I've completely faced, I mean, yeah, I mean, and even on the radio, I still get like hate mail. Like, why are sure. you talking all? We want music. And then I have to be right. like, I, I don't know. I'm paid to do that. Like, I don't know what to right. say. Well, if people are listening to Sirius XM Broadway, uh, you know, they could just have a playlist, right. you know, like you, you, you are trying to engage in the community. So I, but you know, everyone has a lot of opinions, especially <laughs> Probably Especially people. in our community, yeah. But but I think I think that it goes to say that you are you are authentic to who you are, and you always have been, and that there aren't there aren't people who in the places who make decisions who always understand who your audience is, and and you have had to kind of make a path and cultivate that audience and and show the people who make decisions like this is a group of people who want this content who want this message who want access in this way well you know it's interesting when you say about the audience because to this day i either get this i listen to your radio show and i'm straight and i go what does it have what does that literally have to do with anything i go guess what broadway is an american art form broadway's been right. loved by america for years america is actually the minority of people in america is gay so obviously the majority of america liked broadway to keep it al keep it alive and right. sullivan was straight he was a crazy right-wing person so this stupid theory that broadway is gay infuriates me because it's basically why the right. arts have been cut because it's like why do we need to have the arts in high school it's for gay people it's not for gay people and no. and i literally will continually i mean i remember there was one great article about Sirius XM. This guy was like, I know nothing about Broadway, but I'd love listening to Seth Rudesky's show because it just kept me engaged for, for whatever reason. Like, and that's yeah. what I, I have a passion about Broadway and that's what I think engages people. But this theory that only gay people listen to my show is so moronic and infuriating to me. Is that something that you get presented with a lot or? Oh, well, I, I get it mostly from fans. I, or I get I like, my father listens and he's a straight Navy person. I go, uh-huh. I guess he enjoys the arts as most humans do. So yeah, no, I get it all the time. Or even people yeah. saying, I'm a, sh someone just today interviewed me and said, Oh, I'm a big show queen. And I was like, why are you a queen? Cause you like Broadway. What you're implying is I'm feminine and basically weak because I like this art form. And I'm like, no, you're actually right. a theater fan. I don't understand why you have to demean yourself because you like Broadway. It just drives me up the wall. Yeah. No, I, I, I get that. And certainly I think we lived through a childhood probably mm -hmm. that, you know, kind of like equated the two when in fact, it's not that you loving Broadway or loving theater makes you gay. I'll, I'll actually, 
100% tell you that it's not what makes me gay. Yes. Um, but the fact that the community of theater is an oasis, a safe haven yes. for a lot of gay people where they are accepted, that could be in sports too. It's just not done. And it's that's ex- unfortunate. Right. You're not accepted in sports if you're gay, but certainly gay people like sports and certainly straight yes. people like Broadway. And it's gotten more marginalized, much more marginalized over the last 20 years than it used to be. Broadway used to be for everybody. And now it's much right. more thought of as a gay thing. And it drives me crazy. Well, I, I think that like, um, not, not to keep bringing it back to Hamilton, no, but, but you I should. do think that. <laughs> No, because that somehow has. I bring up Hamilton every twenty minutes. <laughs> Not to keep bringing up music half an hour. No, but it's true. <laughs> Hamilton <laughs> but really it, but has it, made it more mainstream. You're yeah, right. It has. I mean, there were. I, I just had dinner with my cousins who live in in uh, a suburb of San Jose yesterday. There's three girls, and the oldest is 13 years old, and she said that she loves Hamilton. And there's a group of people who like don't like Hamilton and they debate about it all the time in eighth grade. And she was like, I'm sorry they don't like it. I was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) The fact that there are eighth graders who even know what Hamilton is. I was like, no one would have a discussion with me about Sweeney Todd in eighth grade. I would have killed to have the debate. (laughs) Right. That would have been amazing. Get back to me. Yes, exactly. But, um, you know, I, I think that, as we started talking about like with Facebook live and social media and Sirius XM and ways that people have had access to and NBC the live, content all those live musicals. I 100% agree. Let's talk about that for a second. I've talked about this on the podcast. Those musicals, people give such a hard time in our community about them and they have mm-hmm. from the beginning. And I understand that, you know, like I, I want them always to be amazing. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's a huge deal, a game changer that networks are fighting for which musicals to be put on television live. Yeah. Two things I'll say about it. A, whenever they're like, why are they casting so-and-so? I'm so bored with that. It's like, unfortunately, we're always going to have to cast some level of stars because the regular world doesn't care that much about Broadway. You've got to sucker them in with somebody. So stop complaining that so-and-so is cast. Second of all, the the shows are figuring out how to do it. The whole not having any audience, they kind of finally realized was too weird that you'd end a number to total crickets. So now they're adding yes. an audience. It's sort of like watching Seinfeld and being like, this show is bad. It's like, right, it's the first two episodes. It's going to get better. So it's like these live right. musicals will keep getting better when they start realizing it. But stop being so mean about them. Shut up. I know. I, that's exactly how I felt. Like, I literally want to meet Carrie Underwood and hug her just for the fact yeah, that she started this and people want to like give her shit for belting job. Maria. She did a great job and she belted Maria yeah. and we'll never get to have that again. So just enjoy it for the one and time. The way, Mary Martin happened. belted it. Like those are the original keys. Yeah, okay. So shove it. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and she literally started, uh, launched, uh, an art form, a new medium, a new medium of the, the, the way that we love, uh, to, to have storytelling be told through music and, and and it's awesome and it's getting better each one gets better and better i agree figure it out my god jesus christ superstar um, is going to be amazing yeah i'm really i'm really looking forward to it so let's 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 talk a little bit more about the state of the actual broadway stage right now um our buddy gavin creel won a tony oh award. my god Boy, hot, probably, hot, that that meal we had in province to this day i can't stop laughing how funny you were remember uh, when 
when he oh, ordered God. pasta. And it was like, is it oh. rotini or is it pappardella? And like, and like, yeah. and like, it is rotini. And you were like, what does it make a difference? You were like, I will not have that shape in my mouth. Anyway, <laughs> it was such a good analysis. Because oh, yeah. people make such a big deal about the shape of the pasta. I'm like, it's still the, just put it in. That's for so God's sake. Funny. Anyway, yeah, Gavin, James, and I, we were actually at the 20 Words this year. We left our feed. I was crying. I was so happy for him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, like, it, obviously, we both know Gav and love him, but... It's about the work that he's put in. Oh my to that God. Moment, he should, he should. Have, I mean, the, my one disappointment, I said in the radio show today, I really want him to win for originating a role instead of doing a revival. He's such a unique performer. Like, shows should be written on his voice. So I just want that to be the next step for him that he originates something. Yeah. Well, and he should. And hopefully something will be built around him oh and, and that voice and, and that the dancing, the acting, like everything. Dancing. Everything. Now, I haven't seen Hello Dolly. He's amazing. Which is very, which has been very difficult for me. Um, mm-hmm. this is like the first Broadway season that I haven't yeah. been, been there for. So it's, it's rough. But what do you think of the current state of Broadway just in general? Like, like the shows that are out now, things that are happening. What are your thoughts? Um, I, I'm very happy that, um, I feel there's good original stuff out there that be quiet. My dog keeps barking that. You know, there's always been this theory that, oh, if we make this famous movie into a musical, it's going to sell tickets. I feel like people are realizing that that's no longer a surefire way to do something. And sometimes it is right. amazing. I mean, Harris, although Hairspray wasn't really a big hit, it was more of a cult hit. But the point is, it can definitely work. But right. what I love is that shows that are just written to be creative are, I mean, like Hamilton. I mean, talk about a boring-ass subject matter. So I love that that's happening, that there's creativity and people are taking chances on stuff. And a lot of times you say taking chances on stuff, it means a horrible atonal score. I'm not saying take a chance on something, a splitting headache, but I'm saying sure. take a chance on something that doesn't, that that's not based on something that you think from your marketing research will do well. So that right. I appreciate. I mean, my biggest thing that I talk about all the time and I, I, I it's a losing battle is um the state of the orchestra. It just, it's really devastating yeah. to me. You listen to these old shows and you just hear that, amazing string section and everyone says oh you don't need it anymore because you can use synthesizers and microphones and it just it doesn't sound the same and it's literally devastating to me that it doesn't sound the same way as it used to sound and I talk about it all the time on the radio and there also is a use of lip syncing on Broadway which is so horrific to me and it is so noticeable to me whenever you see these big dance numbers and there's this total even sound this wall of sound coming towards you instead of the unevenness of someone dancing, which makes it exciting because it's live. You hear unevenness. You hear this wall of sound. I can't right. stand it because it's like being in a theme park. And it's definitely that's so weird. I haven't, I haven't noticed it. I mean, you have a, clearly a much better Watch ear, but I haven't noticed the mega that. Mega mix of Mamma Mia. It's this wall oh, okay. of sound. A wall of right. just uh, um, no. There's no. There's no liveness to it. Like you yeah. know, people huffing and puffing. Like there's a liveness to that, and instead it's just yeah. a perfect sound. Uh, makes me crazy. Right, like you might as well just stay home and listen to the recording or go to a theme park, you know, and then people use this theory like you can't sing and and you can't dance at that level and sing. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like every Broadway show has had crazy singing. Now, look, a chorus line had a lot of dancing. And yeah, they had they had background singers. Those people that are cut from the opening number went backstage and sang to microphones. But it was an additional six people. They didn't have 30 people singing it and the cast and stage lip sync. The cast and stage sang and then they had an additional six singers. 
It's a complete myth. It's the same myth that producers use when they go, oh, an orchestra is too expensive. An orchestra is not too expensive. Custom-made shoes are too expensive or a crazy-ass set that no one gives a shit about is too expensive. But this myth that a full orchestra is expensive is a complete and, I mean, unadulterated lie. And it infuriates me. Love, Seth. Well, thank you, Seth. Thank you. I really appreciate You know you always hold back on your opinion. And so I'm glad that you could give me (laughs) straight up today. Yes, finally, Seth speaks. <laughs> yes, thank you. I dare you name drop. <laughs> um, so you, you've, I, like I said, I wanted to talk to you on the podcast because I'm so amazed at all of the the different twists and turns that your career has mm. taken and will continue to take, and the fact that you and James have done all of this work for charity for a good cause on top of everything that you're doing and and you've and you have a family together you know like don't for you know forget that that's kind of like what i think is most important to talk about in this podcast because people don't really get to talk about that when they go on interviews and talk about broadway how have you been able to maintain family life family structure in all the craziness that is your life which is you're the first person who has, has is so busy that has suggested that we do 20 minutes and then take a break so you could do whatever you had to do and then do another 20 well, minutes later. It was easy for me that way. Um, <laughs> you know, I've been really lucky. I go out of town a lot, but I, cause they do a lot of shows around the country, but I, yeah. I'm notorious and people, my people I work with, they think I'm crazy, but I'll always like take like a 6am flight back. Cause I want to get back and, and live my New York life. So I'll always yeah. basically get to the venue the day of, and I'll leave the next morning, six o'clock. So yes, I travel a lot, but I, you know, I think it's really important to be back with my family. So I do these very quick trips and I've been really lucky that a multitude of my trips, I could bring my family on. So it's like basically every single cruise I'm doing sets, big fat Broadway cruise. We leave from Seattle, go to Alaska and I'm bringing the whole family. So a lot of stuff I'm quote unquote busy with, but the family's always there. I mean, disaster James and I did together and Julie was backstage. You know, we just, we kind of do things together all the time. That's, I guess how you maintain it. The only way to not maintain it is to be separate too much and i don't think we are right no i mean you you definitely have found a way and obviously when you are making a life with somebody you have the same interests and luckily you and james have the same passion and that really helps yeah i I, I love working with them i think i think of us as lucy and desi you know like without the alcoholism and cheating but like really like (laughs) i mean you know they couldn't help it that was like way before therapy i think they really did love each other i'm obsessed i I totally agree but they were so creative um yeah. And that's how I kind of think of me and James, that we do all these creative ventures together. I love doing it. I really trust his opinion. Well, and and so let's end with talking about Disaster, which was a huge creative process. It was an amazing show. Thank you. You wrote it. You starred in it. You, I had to. I mean, you you did so much work. Um, and I'm sure that was not just like a easy street path. No, even it's um, so funny because we're going to London now. I mean, well... We're planning on it. We're still signing contracts and whatnot. Right. But <clears throat> I was really impressed. It's funny. I was emailing with the producer of um, Natasha Pierre. And I said, mm-hmm. oh, my God, the Tony Awards, you have like the rising, uh, everything. And he wrote, he said, yeah. oh, I've always said bigger is better for this show. And I said, God, I, said, I felt that way about disaster. You know, because Natasha Pierre began at Ars Nova, which is like, you know, a stage. Yeah. That's where I did Rhapsody and Seth, my one person's show. Like, that's how big the stage right. is. And I think people have this myth in their head, like if it begins in a small space, it's a small show. And when I was doing Disaster, people kept being like, 
How is it going to transfer to Broadway? It's really small. And I was like, no, we took a Broadway-sized show and we shoved it into a little theater, but it's right. about earthquakes and tidal waves and disco. Where is the small part? Like, literally, they acted like it was a one-person show about physics that I had a little... I'm like, it's literally an earthquake and tidal wave, killer bees and disco music. I don't yeah. understand what the small... But anyway, it, it was a constant struggle to explain to people. It's not a little comedy sketch. It's literally a show. So that was hard. Also, people kept saying to me, you're never going to get the song rights. You're never going to get the song rights. And... Some of this famous producer was like, you're never going to get this song. And finally, I was like, I think it was, by the way, just FYI, going back for a second, we first did it as a benefit for Only Make Believe, this great charity that brings um, theater to hospitalized children. And I said to James, I said, I really wanted to get it to Off-Broadway, but, you know, no one's contacting me to produce it. And we were at Aroma Coffee in 72nd Street, and James said, why don't you do it at, um, what's it called? That's Steve McGraw's, the triad. And I, I was like, that's where I did Forever Plaid. It's literally and Forbidden Broadway. It's for four people on stage. And he said, it doesn't matter. Just do it there. So it was James' idea. So we shoved this big show into this little space. But because we did that, we got this great New York Times review. So my point is, like, I guess, A, James has always been the engine behind disaster. That's what I love. Yeah. It. He was one propelling it. But in terms of the struggle, everyone kept saying, you're never going to get the song rights. And finally, James said, well, why don't you just try to get the song rights yourself? So my friend had written mm-hmm. Rock of Ages. And I said, who got your song rights? And he said, this woman, Janet Billy Rich. So I wrote a very nice email and she wrote me back, which is why I'm so lucky. Oh my God, I'm a big fan of yours from Sirius XM. And I'm like, oh my God, that radio show is like the gift that you're giving. Like, it's amazing. And she got the song rights. And I just, the one I think very inspiring story I'll tell is that um, it was difficult to get the song rights. And when we got to Broadway, the song rights changed. And Jennifer Samard had been this major hit off Broadway. She played the gambling, none of the gambling addiction. And she sang Signs of Delivered. And she got a Drama Desk nomination and all the reviews. And literally a month before we began rehearsals, I had to call her and say, we don't have the rights for Signs of Delivered. And it was literally <laughs> the song that like made her a star of Broadway. And the good news is, James. James had been researching for weeks another song. And I kept saying, why are you researching? We're going to get the rights. And he was like, what about it? I was like, stop bothering me. But he kept researching it. <laughs> and then I said, well, why don't we do Heaven Knows? Heaven Knows. She's a nun. And it's not right. the way it should be. You know, she's gambling. And I was sort of committing to it. And I was really happy about it. And James was like, he kept looking. I was like, stop looking. I already chose a song. Anyway, he said, what about Never Can Say Goodbye? And I was like, oh, my God. It's so good because Sansa is delivered. She gives herself over to the slot machine. But Never Can Say Goodbye is a struggle of I love you, but I hate yeah, you, but I love never you. Can say goodbye. And I called Jennifer and I said, we lost the rights, but we got a new song. So it was on Thanksgiving. She was chopping vegetables. She was devastated. <laughs> and then she called me back. She goes, okay, I processed it. And she goes, let's actually make it even better. And it was a great way to look at it. It's like we had a great song. That's amazing. Yeah, and she got a Tony nomination. So like, it's yeah, just, and well, and she's and it helps when you're a comedic genius. Like she's yes. she just has that. She so is, you could give her the phone book. She would be funny. She is brilliant. But I guess my point is for those of you that think, oh my god, this Stark with the show, or we lost this venue, or you with nerds. It's like you don't. You may think something is terrible, but if you just kind of keep hoping and working on something, it could get even better. And that's what happened with right. disaster. We were devastated, and it actually worked out even better for her. That's amazing. I, I think that, you know, w- one of the themes from your story and what I think is so important is that a lot of times people are ready to uh, go to auditions and hear no, but they aren't ready to like get in the actual world of this business and hear no and think like that's normal. It's normal. You hear no every day, all the you time. You have to not, that's a thing. It's like the serenity prayer, you know, God grant me the serenity to change things I can't. 
You have to know who to believe and who not to believe. And that's, that is a real trick because people say no. And you're like, like those publishers for my book, like it's yeah. not a good book. I'm like, I, I could either, either have been like, I guess it's not. Or I could be like, what is your advice? Let me try to take it. Or I could go, I actually don't believe you. And I was, I remember being at the gym with my trainer and I was saying, oh, this producer rejected disaster. And he was like, why don't you produce it? This one, we first went to our Broadway. And I was like, oh, I'm not a producer. Then I was like, wait, what is a producer? I was like, it's just called a person. I was like, they don't have a degree in producing. They're literally just people. I was like, why don't I produce it? And that's why we produce it off Broadway. So the point is you do, you do hear no, and you have to know what to trust within that no. It's like, you know, do you, what do you change to make it a yes? And I was really inspired by Tina Facebook. She says over, under, through. It's like someone is blocking you instead of pushing against them, Sesame Street style, go over, under, through to get what your goal mm-hmm. is. And that's really inspired me. Yeah. Now, I, I think that you, are, you embody that. And I, I'm so impressed with what you've created in your career. I am. I've hopefully, I've always expressed this to you because there's just no one who has done what you've done. Also, and also one of the nice people in the business. So I, I, <laughs> you know, so it's hard to take a compliment and not go, oh, he's just being polite. But I do appreciate I'm not, it. I am serious. I mean, I'm not just having you on this podcast to have other people hear how you did this. I wanted to know. Oh, you're because boy. I think that you do have to make your own career. And if you're going to keep finding the things that inspire you, that keep you authentic in the way that you have, that you have to figure out how other people have done it. And, you know, that's kind of the reasons that I'm doing this podcast. So I really appreciate you giving me the time in your very busy day, <laughs> which is every day of your life. Uh, but it's all I fun am, busyness. I'm not the coal mine. It I'm is. having fun. No, of course. You do it with joy, and that's why you can keep doing it, you know. Um, but I'm really excited for Saturday. I hope that everybody in San Francisco comes to see the big show Saturday night. Thank you. And uh, way, I you will see you super there. super handsome on Skype, FYI. Oh, thank you. You know, I might have chosen this lighting. Lighting is amazing. Good for me. I mean, I just, I don't want my guests to, to be sick to their stomach in the wrong way. No, light. if anything, I'm incredibly jealous of the old husband. So, Mr. O'Malley, <laughs> he still got it. Just saying. All right. Good work. Uh, all, right, all right. Well, bud. I will see you Saturday in I'll see you San Saturday. Francisco. Thank you for doing this. All right. Bye, Rory. Audition side job, swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.